Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles. You were carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And Father, we just humbly pause and ask as we continue now in our worship together, that by your Spirit, Lord, you would just move amongst us in a fresh and a current way for this meeting and this gathering. Lord, we want to continue now to worship you in spirit and truth. And so we ask that by the Holy Spirit's ministry, you would speak to us the truth from the word of God that we need to hear for this day. So bless your word, Lord, and speak now by your spirit's ministry. We ask expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, question this morning, are church meetings supposed to be about engaging in just kind of religious routines that we tend to develop? Maybe if we attend a church on a regular basis, we kind of know when you walk in, which button to push and lever to pull, and there's kind of just this religious routine that we go through week by week or gathering by gathering. And I think we all can, to some degree, become inclined to perhaps thinking that it's almost about that. We kind of come in, we do our religious routine. Or is it supposed to be more, which I believe is true, about having an encounter with God? And not holding a meeting, but actually meeting together with God. And having an experience and a genuine encounter with God. The gathering of the church is not meant to be just a place of religious routines. Or we practice as attendees the mechanical motions of spiritual rituals. By God's heart and design, instead it's meant to be a time when we have a supernatural experience with God. Where his spirit who is present with us is working amongst us. Where we're offering worship to the Lord in spirit and truth. And we're encountering the Lord in a personal and a very real way. A time when the Lord, I believe, is to be ministering among us. Using his servants as his body now on this earth to accomplish his ministry as it carries on. And as the spirit works through people's lives. Bringing spiritual benefit to all those who are gathered. So as we saw last time that we actually leave doing better than when we walked through the door because the Spirit of the Lord has ministered among us. And that's what our text we're going to see is addressing as we now come into chapter 12 this morning. Remember the background, again, this section of the letter, Paul's addressing at the local church of Corinth there aspects of different questions that they had asked him and instructing them about different situations happening there in the local church. And particularly in these chapters, he's talking about how to properly conduct ourselves when we gather together as God's family. So when we're having the public worship meeting, when we're coming together, spending time as God's people in worship and coming together for meetings, and he's addressing here how these matters really are something that are important to God, that God truly cares about how the meeting goes and what happens when we come together 
as the people of the Lord. And in chapters 12, 13, and 14, we're now going to see, he focuses instruction as well as his correction, specifically in these chapters regarding exercising spiritual gifts, identifying what these gifts are, how they're supposed to operate properly, and what purpose they exist for, and beginning to really just address these things, even correcting improper behavior in regards to the exercising of the gifts, as we'll see Paul talk about. Notice with me, he begins in verse 1, now in the section, by saying to us, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant. So Paul did not want them to be uninformed about the ministry of the Holy Spirit amongst them there at the church. So he introduces what he wants to speak about. He says, verse 1, you see it there, concerning spiritual gifts. Now, you may notice in your translation there, the word gifts is in italics, which indicates us that that was inserted by the translators for sake of bringing context to what's being discussed. Well, it's obvious in the passage that in this section he's discussing spiritual gifts, But the language there, because gifts is in italics, the language literally could be better read now concerning spiritual things. It's literally in the Greek, spirituals. The idea is what Paul's saying is concerning spiritual matters, not just gifts alone, but concerning matters of the spirit, concerning spirituality, or you might translate it concerning spiritual experiences. And of course, the operation of the gifts of the spirit fall into that and he says concerning these spiritual things or spiritual gifts verse one he says i don't want you to be ignorant the idea is to be ill-informed to be uninformed to be uh in a sense uneducated to have wrong information or a wrong understanding on such matters it's important paul says that we be well informed and that you there at the local church at Corinth, he says, have a proper understanding of what these gifts are and how these spiritual experiences operate. What's interesting is Paul says here in verse 1, I don't want you to be ignorant regarding these things. We have three times in the New Testament that we're specifically told that God does not want us to be ignorant. I think there are a lot of things that God doesn't want us to be ignorant about and make sure we're informed about. But three times in the New Testament, we're specifically told by God in his word, I don't want you to be ignorant regarding those things. Those three things are as follows. In Romans chapter 11, we're told there that we're not to be ignorant regarding God's work and plan among the Jewish people and God's long-term plan for the nation of Israel, that God does not want us to be ignorant regarding his heart for the Jews and his plan for the nation of Israel. First Thessalonians 4 tells us that God does not want us to be ignorant regarding the return of the Lord. And then here in 1 Corinthians 12, we're told that God does not want us to be uninformed or ignorant regarding the exercising of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how the ministry of the Holy Spirit works among the church. Yet, sadly, would you agree these things that the Bible says don't be ignorant about often tend to be three areas where the church and Christians, sadly, are uneducated in regards to those things and to some degree seem to manifest a lack of biblical instruction and a clear foundation on these matters. It seems these tend to be three areas, unfortunately, that the church becomes divided over and many times behaves wrongly due to primarily one thing, 
a lack of biblical instruction regarding these areas. The return of the Lord, God's plan for the nation of Israel, and how the ministry and the gifts of the Holy Spirit operate in a proper way according to what God describes. Now, in regards to this area of not being ignorant about spiritual uh, things and the ministry of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, typically, instead of having a biblically informed and balanced perspective on the Holy Spirit, what we often tend to see, if we were just honest as God's people in the church, we often tend to see regarding this area that many people tend to gravitate to one of two extremes. And the purpose for gravitating to one of those two extremes, in my estimation, really is just biblical ignorance. God says my people die for lack of knowledge and sadly because of a lack of proper understanding and just a lack of biblical instruction, people tend to gravitate to one of two extremes when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. For example, the one side or one camp you have, there are those who I believe in ignorance kind of take the place of a complete refusal to be open at all to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the experiences of the Holy Spirit. And they kind of take what's referred to as a, a cessationist mindset. And a cessationist mindset is basically someone who says, we believe those gifts may have operated in the initial early church, but those things have now ceased. We don't need those gifts anymore, particularly those who seem to be more of the miraculous type. gifts. We just don't need that anymore now. That was just to kind of jumpstart the church and now those things have ceased. And many a times that position comes to me, a lot of times I believe from what I see, from just really kind of just a strong reaction to perhaps observations or experiences where they saw people maybe doing things in an abusive use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that might have seemed a little awkward or confusing or concerning. So people as a reaction to that, rather than taking a biblical approach, they fly way to the other end of the spectrum because they feel it's safe and they want to just steer clear of anything that has to do with the ministry and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they kind of just refuse to be open in faith to those things because of maybe some experiences they had or things they've seen, and it makes them fly way to the other side. And let me just say, I don't think that that's healthy. First of all, I don't think it's biblical, but second of all, I don't think it's healthy because we need the power of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. Do you mean to tell me that the church needs the power of the Holy Spirit less now than when it did when it first got started in the book of Acts? If we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit operating through the church, the church just dries up and becomes a dead religious social club, and that's not good for the church. Now, the other extreme or the other camp, if you would, way on the other side that people go to, which I believe also to some degree stems from some degree of biblical ignorance, is you have the other side where people kind of go to the extreme where they tend to hyperfixate that everything's about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So the whole focus of a meeting, the whole focus of the gathering of the church is foremost about supernatural experiences and the moving of the Holy Spirit in the gifts being operated and so forth. And that kind of lends itself many a times to sort of a hyper-charismatic activity and hyper-emotionalism in every church gathering where that kind of tends to be the fixation where kind of the goal of every meeting is to sort of get as worked up as possible. And it's almost as if church gatherings, it's like where each meeting 
kind of becomes to some degree, if I could use it's almost the illustration, it's almost kind of like the church meeting is like the spiritual pep rally. And we have to do everything we can to get everybody that's a Christian as worked up as possible and get the team psyched up and hyped up and, and let's get jumping and hyped and because then we got to survive in the world out there for the next week. And so the church then tends to kind of put this hyper fixation where everything is foremost about the exercising of the gifts and sometimes to the, to the sad degree of it's not even about biblical instruction or teaching or feeding the flock of God so that people get biblical help and instruction to live for the Lord. It's just more about kind of getting pumped up for the Lord and all the fixation goes a little too far to the focus upon experiential things and engaging many times then what tends to happen in even then going out of balance and engaging in sometimes unbiblical spiritual experiences where people say this is of the Holy Spirit, but, but the problem becomes, but where do you see that in the word of God? You may be saying that's coming from the Holy Spirit, but if we don't see it in scripture, how can we validate? Because the spirit of God who wrote the word of God is the same spirit of God who is ministering among the people. And, and those two would never contradict. And so we want to like in the book of Acts, be able to say like Peter, this is that which the prophet Joel has spoken about when the Holy Spirit was being put. Again, that's it. This is that which is written. We can see it in the word of God. This is a legitimate biblical experience of the spirit. And we want to keep that proper balance. And again, when you go to the other extreme of where it's the hyperfixation on the things of the spirit's ministry, the, the sad thing there is then sometimes meetings begin to create an environment where it becomes a little bit chaotic and people feel confused and maybe they feel uneasy and there's kind of just this lack of understanding of what's going on. And rather than getting true spiritual help, sometimes the church gatherings can almost become like a little bit of a spiritual show of who's going to be the most spiritual that morning. And I don't believe that's healthy either. Either one of these can get a degree out of balance. And perhaps you can, I know I can, relate to that in your prior church experiences perhaps. I have been in gatherings of both types. I have experienced those things. And, and typically when we're a part of those kind of gatherings or maybe that's a part of our church experience, a lot of times what happens is we then just embrace a mentality or a perspective, right, about the ministry of the Holy Spirit or a perspective about spiritual gifts and we base it off our church experience. Can I encourage you? That's not a wise thing to do. Don't base anything theologically off of your church experiences. Base your theology and perspectives off the word of God. That's the way to base your proper theology, not just on the Holy Spirit, but on any matter. And again, I just want to encourage you as we as a church continue to move through the entirety of the word of God, moving now through the entirety of the book of 1 Corinthians, and we come clearly to a section, three chapters, that addresses the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the exercising of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. As we study this, may God help us to come to a biblically balanced view on these matters, that we would have an open heart. I want to encourage you, have an open heart and an open mind to some degree to say, Lord, I may hold perspectives about these things. But as I look through these things and we study through things, I pray your Holy Spirit through who inspired the word of God would give me biblical clarity on what is correct and what's not correct. And that I wouldn't just take my mindset that I already have, but instead I'd say, Lord, you show me, show me what's true from the word of God and not just holding to some 
perspective because of an experience you've had. Again, Paul says, understanding these spiritual things, I find it very insightful. Right out of the starting gate, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, church. I want you to understand. Don't just settle for biblical ignorance. He says, let's learn. And he's going to talk about how the root of these things in these chapters is about being truly yielded to the Holy Spirit and really seeing what it is like when the Spirit is at work amongst us in a meeting for our best, not just being influenced, listen, and I'll refer to this multiple times, not just being influenced by our human spirit, but being influenced by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we need to learn how to differentiate, and Paul and the Word of God is even going to address that very thing, letting the Spirit of God work, but in a true way that's in alignment with the word of God. So we know what it truly looks like from God's perspective when the Holy Spirit is ministering and manifesting himself among the people of God. And the Corinthians, listen, had always been a people who were open to the power of the supernatural realm. Paul has indicated that. They were into spiritual experiences just in wrong ways. That's why Paul, look at verse two, says what he begins to say. They've always been open to spiritual experiences. He says, you know that you were, in the past, the idea is, Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, Paul says, however you were being led. So Paul refers to a time when they were something else prior to their current spiritual condition, now as Christians, born again of the Spirit and a part of the church. He says, you once were, in the past, Gentiles. Now, in this context, when Paul uses the word Gentiles, he's not referring to their nationality as much as their spiritual condition. That at one time, Paul says, in that condition you once were in spiritually, you, you were pagans, Paul says. You didn't have a true relationship with God. The Spirit of God was not dwelling within you yet because you weren't converted. And during that unconverted condition, he says, you were being directed, Paul says, verse 2, by these dumb idols, being carried away and led by your worship and experiences from these dumb idols. Now, when he uses the word dumb there, he's simply referring to in the sense of being unable to speak. When he says these dumb idols, he's implying that these idols lack the ability to truly help you. They didn't offer anything of real spiritual benefit. They didn't speak anything that was helpful as far as real guidance for their lives. And Paul's gonna say, in contrast to the fact, unlike the true God, the living God who does speak prophetically through a word of knowledge, through a word of wisdom, that the true God does speak and he does want to give us spiritual help and guidance. These demonic spirits behind these forms of idolatry were misdirecting their lives in the wrong paths. Paul talks about they were open to spiritual experiences. He says, when you were worshiping these, these idols, he says, you were being carried away however you were being led by them. So there was this degree of seeking spiritual experience, but many of the experiences were kind of just these mystical, emotional type experiences they were having with these idols as they were being carried into these emotional states and being led by these false spirits to say and do things. But yet the experiences were not true experiences from God. They were experiences but they weren't having a true experience with God and it wasn't helping them. The spirit directing them was resulting in them being self-serving and self-seeking and it really didn't provide much help for others. And Paul's addressing this because Paul's gonna say, look, yet now you as the church, you have the spirit of the living God dwelling inside of you. You have the spirit of truth 
residing within you. And he says, you should be open to spiritual experience. But he says, let's be open to experience that genuinely comes from God. A genuine spiritual experience from the spirit of truth who helps us and does what God wants, what's best for our lives. So Paul says, verse three, therefore, he says, I make known to you in contrast that no one speaking by the spirit of God calls Jesus accursed and no one can say that Jesus is Lord, he says, except by the power of the Holy Spirit. So notice the Holy Spirit leads those under his control Paul's going to say in verse three here, a clear characterizing mark. How do I know if that's of the spirit? Paul says, well, one thing will be very obvious. It will honor Jesus and it will lead people to submit more to his rulership and lordship over their lives. That will be a characterizing mark. Those who worship these false gods in the past, they were having mystical emotional experiences. Oftentimes they claimed to have messages to share from their idol that they were worshiping yet it was not from god it was a message from another source it wasn't a true message from god and paul didn't want that same error listen he didn't want that same kind of error creeping into the church now where people were saying i've got a message where i'm having an experience where we should do this and and paul would say but is the holy spirit leading that or is some other spirit or your human spirit leading you to say or do that and paul wants to emphasize this here that it's not just about seeming spiritual activity and getting worked up in a meeting it's about genuine spiritual ministry where there's a manifestation he's going to say verse seven of the spirit of truth working among us that lines up with what's in in accordance with god's will and god's ways paul says to us very clearly here in verse three that a person under the influence of the spirit he says in their actions, in their speech, is not going to dishonor Christ. When someone is truly being led of the Spirit, they are not going to dishonor Jesus Christ in anything they say or do, and they're not going to lead people away from the Lord Jesus Christ, their attention or the direction that they guide people. And Paul says in verse 3, I make known to you no one speaking by the Spirit of God, he says anyway, calls Jesus accursed. Again, any message that misdirects people away from Jesus is not a message that is directed by the Spirit of God. Yet those messages are being guided by something else. And it's possible, apparently, right, according to the Scripture, it's possible for people to speak messages or even convey their speaking a spiritual message and it not be coming from the Spirit of God. This is what Paul is addressing here and will in other sections. First John chapter four tells us, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they be of God. The Bible tells us don't despise prophecies. Don't shut them down. Hey, this prophecy stuff, we're not open to that. No, he just says, just test all things and hold fast to what's good. In other words, was that a genuine prophecy from the spirit or was that somebody saying they were speaking a prophetic word, but maybe that wasn't from the Spirit of God, so we're just not going to receive that. And we have that discretion from the Holy Spirit to be able to evaluate what's truly from God's Spirit is going to align with the truth of God's Word because it's coming from the Spirit of truth. Now, in contrast, when someone is being guided by the Spirit, Paul says, verse 3, they will be honoring Jesus, and they'll be encouraging embracing the Lordship of Jesus to a greater degree. He says here in verse 3, no one 
can say, that is, can say it and mean it, obviously, not just say it. No one can say it and truly be genuine about the fact that Jesus is Lord, he says, except by the Holy Spirit. So again, it's only by a work of the Spirit of God that someone can truly recognize and sincerely embrace Jesus's lordship. Remember, Jesus himself told us in the Gospels what the ministry of the Holy Spirit would accomplish. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 26, that when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, Jesus said, he will testify of me. And then again, in John chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will glorify me. So Jesus himself, God in the flesh, said of God's spirit that when the Holy Spirit comes and ministers, he says he will testify of me, testify of Jesus, and he will glorify Jesus. So what's a clear way to measure is something of ministry of the Holy Spirit. Did that glorify Jesus? Did it testify and point people to closer relationship with Jesus? Notice as well the need, really Paul's emphasizing to be enabled by the spirit of God to have a true spiritual experience. He says right there in verse three, no one can truly recognize the lordship of Jesus or respond to the lordship and rulership of Jesus taking over their life except by the spirit. In other words, human resolve alone is not enough. There needs to be a genuine spiritual experience a genuine experience with the power of the holy spirit working to bring that awareness and the willingness to submit to submit yourself to jesus that's what the bible says it's not by might or by human power zachariah 4 says but by my spirit says the lord and look this is important for us folks because as we think of those that we desire to be saved right that we're praying for people we want to see genuinely be born again of the spirit and get saved that they would submit to Jesus lordship we need to realize that cannot happen by just human persuasion alone do we present the claims and truths of the gospel yes do we pray for them yes absolutely but the process of them coming into a genuine salvation experience is important to understand that that cannot happen except by the holy spirit of god accomplishing that conversion work in their soul. There's a supernatural thing that has to happen, and we need to pray in that understanding and be aware of that. God, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you bring them to conversion? Would your Holy Spirit convert their soul inwardly? That's the only way someone can truly say Jesus is Lord to experience salvation. And as you and I desire to live in a way that allows Jesus' lordship to be more deep in our life, my self-resolve is only one part of the process. Another big part of the process is I need there to be a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in my life to bring me into a greater degree of living under the influence of the Spirit and following the Lordship of Jesus. Lord, I pray change my heart, except by the Holy Spirit, Lord. I'm not going to live the way you want me to live. So again, understanding that need of the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives now as paul comes to verses four through seven we're going to see he's going to start to discuss how the spirit of god operates among the lives of god's people 
How does the Holy Spirit operate? Well, Paul says, verse 4, there are going to be diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Differences of ministries, but it's the same Lord behind them. And diversities of activities, but it is the same God, he says, who works all in all. Now, notice just by overall observation of our three verses I read there, the clear reference to what? The Trinity, right? You see that there in verses 4, 5, and 6? One God wonderfully manifested and operating uniquely in three different persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, look at it there, you have a reference to God the Father. In verse 5, there's a reference to God the Son, who is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then again in verse 4, you have a reference to God the Holy Spirit. Again, all working in perfect harmony together as one, but each fulfilling their unique purposes among the Godhead in their ministry for our benefit, setting a beautiful ideal for Paul's going to say how spiritual experiences happen and how the gifts operate. There's this purposeful, Paul's going to say, variation among the gifts and spiritual experiences, but yet these things all work together in harmony with unity of purpose to accomplish what's best for the work of the kingdom of God. Paul says, first of all, verse four, that there are diversities of gifts, he says, but the same spirit. So he says there are going to be different kinds of spiritual gifts that are going to be exercised, but it's the same spirit of God orchestrating these gifts according to his decision of how they operate. So the first thing he points out is there are various different kinds of spiritual gifts that will be exercised among Christians who are part of the church. That word gifts that he used there in verse 4 is the Greek word charismata. It's actually a compound word that means grace gifts. In other words, what the clear indication is there, these are giftings by the grace of God. They are impartations of God's grace as a gift to supply supernatural enablement to be able to serve and help as God's people. These gifts, point being, are not just natural talents. Important to understand that. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not just natural talents or aptitudes or maybe inclinations that we may have from birth. Surely we all have such things as natural talents, right? Or aptitudes or inclinations. Some people are very naturally talented to work with their hands, or they have an aptitude towards mechanical things or, you know, hands-on things. And they're just, they have an aptitude for working and, and doing things hands-on. Other people may have more of an aptitude and an inclination or natural talent towards being musical or whatever. You can fill in, or athletic. You can fill in all the categories there, right? We have these natural talents in the way God's given to us from birth, the way he's wired and designed us. And look, we should be good stewards of those things. Our natural talents, our aptitudes, the things that God has given to us as abilities, we should as good stewards use those things for the purposes of God. And those things can be used to do the work of the kingdom of God as well. However, that is not biblically what spiritual gifts are. Charismata, grace gifts, impartations by the grace of God through spiritual enablement. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are divine supernatural enablements from the Holy Spirit 
where he imparts a measure of grace by the Spirit's ministry into a Christian's life to help them do that which we did not have the ability to do naturally, to empower us to do something that we don't have the natural ability to do, but we've been supernaturally enabled to be able to function in that way with a supernatural capability to do something by a divine impartation of God's grace into our life. And so this is what biblically spiritual gifts are. It's a divine impartation of the Spirit's grace and power in order to be able to operate or to serve or to be useful in some way for God as a part of his family. The Lord wants to work among the lives of his people, right? Jesus still wants to minister. He lived on this earth and he ministered among us. He died and he rose again. But guess what? Jesus is alive. And guess what he still wants to do? Keep ministering, right? Jesus wants to keep teaching people. Jesus wants to keep helping people. Jesus wants to keep serving people and healing people. And and Jesus wants to keep ministering. But now what does he do? Now he doesn't do it through his fleshly physical body that he had as a man on earth for 33 or so years. Now he does it through the body of Christ where the same spirit of the Lord is residing within you and I as his people. And now the Lord wants to use us as his instruments to do his ministry and to help in various ways and at various times. So therefore the spirit supernaturally gifts us as individuals with impartations of supernatural grace and power from the spirit to be able to do these things. And this is what he means when he says there are diversities of gifts but it's the same spirit. Again, there are three main passages in the New Testament. We're going to see 1 Corinthians 12. Next week, we'll look at where we get a list of some of these spiritual gifts. Then Romans chapter 12 gives us another list of some of these spiritual gifts. And then as well, Ephesians chapter 4 identifies the other various gifts and offices and how they operate. But the decision of how these gifts are operated is determined by the spirit in fact glance down in verse 11 look what paul says there he says one in the same spirit works all these things referring to the gifts just described above one in the spirit he works all these things distributing to each one notice individually as he wills as he determines or he decides and let me just quickly say here in passing because time doesn't permit length Notice the word he. When the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit, the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit as the person of the Holy Spirit, as he determines, as he wills. The Bible does not teach that the Holy Spirit is a force or an essence. And this is, again, an area of biblical ignorance sometimes. People refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Like the Holy Spirit is like the force in Star Wars. You need the force, Luke. Yield to the force. No, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, the person of the Godhead who we are to have relationship with just as much as the Father and the Son to let him at his discretion work through our lives. But we notice very clearly here from verse 4 and verse 11 that it's at the discretion of the person of the Holy Spirit who operates in what gifts 
and how those gifts operate in different lives. It's the Holy Spirit who determines which gift is most important in each needed situation. So it's the Spirit of God who decides right now what is needed in that church meeting is this. And so therefore, I'm going to operate this gift as the Spirit. Right now, perhaps in that given situation, the Holy Spirit may look and say, what the church really needs in this situation is for this gift to be in operation. And the Holy Spirit determines and decides which gifts operate through whom and which ones are necessary at the right time by his discretion, knowing what's best. So we have different types of gifts, but the same spirit operating them all. Paul then says, verse five, and there are also differences of ministries, but the same Lord. That word ministries there is where we get our word in the New Testament many times, deacon. It's a term that just refers to general service or doing work. So verse five teaches us there are different kinds of ministry works. There are various ways that we can all serve the Lord, unique forms of ministry, but yet it's all done for the same Lord Jesus. And this is what verse five is conveying to us, that as the work of the Lord unfolds, there are not going to be all the same duties that God's people are doing but there's going to be variation. There are different types of service, different duties that need to be done and fulfilled. There's not just one form of ministry that's needed spiritually. There's a wide variety of things to be done and unique focuses and purposes why those things are necessary. For example, in the body of Christ, would you agree there's a need for teaching? As Christians, there's a need for us to be exercising evangelism and reaching the lost world. There's a need for leadership. There's a need for practical, hands-on ministry. We're going to talk about the gift of helps, which is basically just the gift of practical servanthood, doing practical acts of service. There's a need for prayer, a need for discernment, a need for encouragement and counseling a need from time to time of musical ministry or AV ministry or ushers or building maintenance, right? I mean, the list goes on, administrative things, being a giver. There's all these different types of ministry that needs to be done as a part of the local church. There's also a need for different kinds of focused ministries. For example, ministries that focus on addiction and recovery. Ministries that focus on youth. Ministries that focus on young adults. Men's ministry. Today, what's going to happen? women's ministry, ministry to singles, ministry to the married couples. Again, there will always be a variety of different opportunities to do the Lord's work, but they all should complement and cooperate together to serve the same Lord, to get us all walking closer with Jesus, fulfilling what the Lord wants. And I think this also indicates, verse 5, that the way a ministry operates may be different from how another ministry operates. You notice he says, there are going to be differences of ministries, but it's the same Lord behind the ministry. And this is important to recognize. The style of one ministry may be different than the style of another ministry, and that's okay. The particular approach of ministry or way of operating in that ministry's unique focus or the purpose and function of that ministry, it may be necessary that that be the approach that be taken with that particular ministry. And so there's going to be these variations as to what fits best and accommodates the type of ministry that's being done or the type of ministry that it's perhaps focusing on reaching, right? If you have an over 55 ministry, I assume it's probably going to look a little different than a high school ministry, 
right? I would assume it's going to be a little different approach. It's both trying to serve Jesus, but there are people in two different categories and stages of life. Paul said to the Jew, I became a Jew to win the Jew. To the Greek, I became a Greek to win the Greek. To those under the law, to those, you know, and again, Paul said, I become all things to all men because I want to meet people where they're at. So there's going to be these variations, these different approaches and ways of doing things. Yet it's the same Lord accomplishing all these things. But we need to realize the activity of one ministry may look different than the activity of another ministry. And so we don't want a cookie cutter kind of mimic and make everything have to happen exactly the same way. We want to be open to the leading of the spirit and allow him to clearly indicate for the cause of Christ and getting people to follow Jesus. What's the right way this ministry should be done? What's the right style and approach to that ministry? Paul also says, verse six, there are also diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. So Paul says the way a spiritual gift operates may also be different as it works in different people. And this is interesting as well. There's not just different gifts and different types of ministries, but he says the way that gift works in different people may be different. How the activity comes forth. That word activities Paul uses in verse six is the Greek word energama, where we get the word energizing or energy. And what he's talking about here is how the power and the energy of God's spirit works through a particular individual and how that gift is operated. Again, it's a, a poor illustration because the Holy Spirit's a person and not a force or an essence, but it's kind of like with a device or an appliance, it can do nothing unless what? It has an electrical current empowering it to turn on and to operate. Well, the same thing. We can't operate in the activities of the spirit, unless it's the power of the spirit who's energizing and activating those things to actually happen. So this describes God supplying his power. Paul said, First or Ephesians 3, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So what Paul's addressing here in verse 6 is though it is the same God at work, and again, same word there, the, the word that speaks of energizing, though it is the same God empowering and energizing these different gifts to operate, he says it's going to from time to time be different the way the activity and operation of a gift works through one person's life and the way it may work perhaps through another person's life. There's going to be this variation, again, back to that illustration, like the same electric current, right? The same power, the same electric current working in maybe, let's say, different appliances in your home. And it's the same current behind those appliances, but this appliance does this, and that appliance does that, and they operate in different ways. God uses variety for his own reasons to show, here's why, it's his power and not a human formula. And this is what God wants us to recognize. The way that gift is activated or operated, when the energizing power of God is at work, it won't always be the exact same way in each person, in each unique situation. There's going to be diversity. Think about it. Why? Because people have different personalities. People have different temperaments. People have, again, just uniqueness to who they are as an individual. So, again, if we could illustrate that again, if you have different Bible teachers, whether it's a Bible teacher behind a podium speaking to a congregation or whether it's a Bible teacher in a home fellowship, 
or those who are exercising the spiritual gift of teaching to minister to our children in a way that they can digest and understand. The style of those teachers may be different from person to person. So it's the same gift of teaching spiritually, but the way it operates through that person and their personality and this person and their personality may have variation. Again, we don't want to try and formulize something or mimic something. We want to be who we are and let the Spirit of God work through us in the unique way that he does with us. Again, same with anything else, how evangelism operates. The gift of evangelism, Greg Laurie, Billy Graham, packing out stadiums, ministering to multitudes. Somebody else has the gift of evangelism and continually at their job and the boardwalk and everywhere they go, the grocery store, one by one, they are sharing the gospel of Christ and seeing people get saved and they're exercising the gift of evangelism one-on-one. And if you put them in front of 10,000 people, they'd have a heart attack. But it's both the gift of evangelism, right? And so the gifts operate uniquely, same gift, but unique to each person. One translation says God works in different ways, but it's the same God doing all those works. So again, we want to be aware of this and open to this reality. So we don't try and mimic or formulize something, but instead we realize, no, Lord, the person, the situation, the unique circumstance, that may dictate how the gift operates in that situation. Maybe a prophetic word in a church gathering comes forth in one way when the group of people are having a prayer meeting, and then another time two Christians are having a conversation. And the Holy Spirit puts a word on someone's heart and they speak a prophetic word and it's just a one-on-one thing, but yet it comforts or exhorts, but it's just as much a prophetic word as somebody sharing a word maybe from the Lord in a gathering of 20 people in a prayer meeting. So again, these gifts are going to have that variation and we want to be open to it. Paul concludes our section here by saying, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given, however, to each one for the prophet of all. So here's what the purpose of the Spirit's ministry is intended for, to help others, Paul says, to benefit other people, to profit the church. That word manifestation, Paul uses there, the manifestation of the Spirit, it's a word that speaks of making something evident or making something more clear by some act of making something more obvious. For example, right now I have on a watch, right? Now I've manifested my watch. You see the difference there? The watch is there. That's a manifestation of my watch. I made it more evident. I made it more clear. Well, the same with the Holy Spirit. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit speaks of the fact that, look, the Spirit of God is always present among the people of God, right? He dwells within us. He's among the church. But sometimes God will work in a way where he more clearly manifests the power of his spirit, where he manifests the love and the work of his spirit in a way where we more clearly see, wow, God is at work. And it comes through the manifestation of the spirit, maybe through the gifts of the spirit being in operation. And we realize in a fresh way, wow, the Holy Spirit is doing something among us right now. And we sense that God is working by a manifestation of the Spirit. He says the manifestation of the Spirit is given notice to, he says, each one for the profit of all. So notice there, to each one. What does that tell us? We're all intended to be usable vessels of the Lord 
for his purposes. God's plan is that his spirit at times would be manifested and working through each and every Christian. No one is excluded from being a usable vessel to the Lord. These gifts can operate through any believer at any time. And he says the reason these gifts are being manifested through the church, he says it's for the profit of all, to help others, to benefit people. So the Holy Spirit's ministry, when he operates the gifts through God's people, is for the common good of all, to build up the church, to strengthen Christians. Spiritual gifts, listen, spiritual gifts are not for our self-serving purposes. We're not to operate in the spiritual gifts so that we can impress other people. Wow, he's spiritual. Wow, she's spiritual. What happened there? The attention went off of Jesus and the attention went on the person. That's not what the gifts are for. The purpose of the gifts are not to impress people that we're spiritual. It's to impart some spiritual good, help, profit, and benefit to the church. That's what the purpose of the Holy Spirit's gifts are, to be able to help the church, not to be used to impress but to build others up as we operate in those gifts. You know, as we look at this beginning section of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I have a question I'd ask you this morning. What is the most profitable thing, the most profitable thing that the church needs to experience God's best? I would say it is a powerful manifestation of the Spirit's ministry working among the people of God. That there would be, by God's grace, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a group of people where God's people are filled afresh and come under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit, yielding to a greater degree as the church comes under the influence and the power of the Spirit's ministry. Again, these verses tell us clearly that God wants to work. But what did we say earlier? The Bible says, not by might, nor by power but by my spirit, says the Lord. That is the spirit of the Lord is poured out upon the people of God. Then the church begins to flourish and profitable things start to unfold. Apart from that, folks, I tell you this, apart from the outpouring and the power of the spirit being manifested among God's people, the church will be reduced to nothing other than a religious social club. That's what we will become as the church. You know, I love the lyrics of those songs we sing sometimes. I was thinking of them this week. We should make them our prayer. One of them says this, there must be more than this. Spirit of God, we wait for you. There must be more than this. Spirit of God, we wait for you. Fill us anew, we pray. A lot of times on Wednesday night, we'll sing the chorus, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Would you stand with me and let's pray together.